Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com. I'm stepping in for Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, who normally hosts this show. He is actually out recording uh, interviews with more Star Wars people, so that should be fun. We'll be hearing all about that on the site and presumably on the podcast, maybe, uh, sometime in the very near future. But joining me on today's episode, we have Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Slash Film Writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. And Slash Film Writer, Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. On today's show, we're going to be talking about Morgan Spurlock's admission of sexual misconduct, Star Wars The Last Jedi's box office numbers, The Last Jedi has more practical creatures than any other Star Wars film, the future of X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Deadpool in the MCU, a book of Ryan Johnson's behind-the-scenes photos of The Last Jedi is going to be released, and in our feature presentation, we're going to be talking about, you guessed it, The Last Jedi, and how it doesn't really care what you think about it. Uh, let's just jump right into the water cooler segment uh, before we dive into the news. So, Jacob, what have you been up to? Uh, I've been watching Netflix's The Crown uh, after I read uh, Chris's review of season two on the site. And my wife was a big fan and figured it was better than ever to give it a shot. And it's a really good show. It reminds me a lot of Mad Men in that each episode feels very complete. It feels like a short story. Each uh, episode is built around a single thematic idea and brings those characters around that idea. It's really refreshing to see on Netflix, a, a platform where uh, most creators have chosen to make 13-hour-long movies as opposed to TV shows that actually have hooks and have beginnings and endings for episodes and actually make you want to come back. And it's been really refreshing to not binge it. I've been watching one episode at a time, letting the episode digest and really appreciating it and really appreciating how the show, like BoJack Horseman, is the only other Netflix show that actually feel bingeable which makes you not want to binge it uh have you guys watched the crown other than chris no i have not yet i've heard good things uh ht have you seen it i have not yet either i've been planning to um i only know that it's the most expensive netflix production yet but i i am interested in it yeah i guess i should say for those of you uh at home it is it's a series about the reign of queen elizabeth ii uh from the 1950s through modern day. Uh, and right now, season two, I believe, is in the 60s, where season one is the 50s. And uh, uh, Chris, you've seen all of it so far. I mean, I'm, I'm so far behind you. How do you feel about the show after season two? 
I really like it. I liked season two more than season one, actually. Uh, I might be in the minority there. I, I've heard some people say they prefer the first one. But uh, like you said, I, I what I really like about it is that it's a very episodic show, which is surprisingly hard to come by now where everything is sort of blends together. And I like that this epi- the, season, the, the show takes its time to have each episode sort of stand on its own. And Chris, what have you been up to? Uh, I just finished a book. Uh, I wrote an article about it for SlashFilm.com. Um, the book is by uh, Matt Zoller-Zeitz and Simon Abrams. It's about uh, Guillermo del Toro's The Devil's Backbone, and it's a really cool book. Uh, it's, it goes into the entire production of the film. It's basically like a, a book-length interview with del Toro where he talks about every element of the film, of the production, like cinematography, uh, the music, all that stuff. But he also talks about just film in general and if you've ever listened to one of his uh, commentary tracks one of his blu-rays he's one of the most knowledgeable filmmakers working today he just knows pretty much everything there is to know about movies so it's just fascinating to read and like see him just talk about films and other filmmakers and filmmaking in general so uh, i highlighted like 13 sort of elements from the book that you can read but that only scratches the surface so i highly recommend you just go out and get the book and the book is just called the devil's backbone like the film nice um so for me i am uh, preparing to head back to florida for a week before christmas so i don't really have much to add in the water cooler segment but uh ht i know that you have uh something to talk about when the, regarding the last jedi right yeah so i've been complaining for the past couple episodes about not getting to see the last jedi early but I did get to see it on opening night at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., which was a pretty cool experience. So not only was it you know, very space-themed, but they also had a couple exhibits set up in anticipation of the movie screening. Uh, so they had like this big, big interactive screen that showed all the characters from the Star Wars franchise in which you could kind of press on random parts of the screen to like look up more information. So that was really cool. And then they had two costumes that were allegedly worn in the movie uh, from Daisy Ridley's um, Ray costume and Mark Hamill's Luke costume. So those were on display. And they also gave us free swag in the form of a poster and some collectible postcards. So it was it was a good time. And it was an IMAX. So it was a big screen and everything. So I actually did not... I was pretty happy with the choice to watch it that opening day and see it with a huge crowd of people who were just gasping and clapping like a bunch of nerds. <laughs> That's very <laughs> cool. So we're going to be talking a lot more about The Last Jedi uh, as this episode unfolds. But before we do that, let's go ahead and jump into uh, some other news items. So uh, Morgan Spurlock, the documentarian behind Supersize Me, has admitted a history of sexual misconduct. HT, what do we know about this? So Morgan Spurlock on Wednesday uh, published a post on Twitter in which he stated that he was part of the problem and that he had two previous cases or two previous accusations in which uh, two separate women had accused him of rape and sexual harassment. And he went into detail about these two incidents and apologized. And uh, a, a day later, he stepped down from his company Warrior Poets, which is a production company he founded uh, based in New York. So in this long Twitter confession that he made, he spoke about how in college he was accused of rape by a female uh, student there when he was there. And um, and 
the second one was sexual harassment, which he, uh, which happened eight years ago with a former female employee who he would verbally harass, call her hot pants and sexy pants. And she, um, after she quit, she threatened to uh, tell everyone that he would constantly call her that. So he paid her to sort of like keep quiet about it. And um, he, there's been a lot of more cases and sort of people being revealed to be uh, active and uh, frequent sexual harassers and assaulters in Hollywood. So now Morgan Spurlock is kind of preemptively coming out as being one of the men who's part of the problem, as he says in his post. And uh, he says he's actively uh, seeking help um, Mm -hmm. for like uh, these accusations and like sort of this incident, these incidences. So it seems like he's trying to get some sort of, you know, um, make some sort of amends for his actions, which is, I think, a step in the right direction in how and how people should uh, come forward with these kinds of claims and incidences. Yeah, I mean, what... oh, go ahead, Jacob. Oh, I'll probably say the same thing you were about to do. I'm just wondering if the fact that he brought up and brought it out there is a good sign, not necessarily a good sign, not, not the kind of thing that makes you want to forgive him, but the kind of thing that's a sign of men taking stock of their lives, even maybe thinking back to the things that they did in the past that they didn't realize were troublesome. Uh, is this like any kind of step in the right direction, or is the guy covering his butt? I, I'm really curious what everybody here thinks. I think it's a combination of both, because um, he was talking in his post about how all these accusations come out, came out, and he kind of thought, oh, I might be next, and he decided to preempt that and come out with this statement talking about it. But he does seem like he's sort of taking action for taking a, making amends for his actions. So I do hope that the sort of Harvey Weinstein effect will cause people to uh, look back at their previous actions and see how they may have hurt people in the process. So it's obvious that Morgan Spurlock is not in denial here. He's He obviously knows he's he was wrong in these um, actions that he made, but it could be a good step in the right direction, I think. And Chris, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, it's, it is like a combination of just doing the right thing and covering his own ass really it's 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 very strange because it, it just sort of came out of nowhere and I don't, I don't know but yeah i think it really is just a combination of those two things yeah and it's interesting because morgan spurlock has another documentary that's supposed to be playing at this year's sundance film festival or i guess next year's technically it's like comes the sundance is next month um so i wonder if that if he's going to show up for that if it's you know if this is something where he's going to you know he, he's stepping down from his production company does that mean that he's sort of um putting all of his filmmaking and all those endeavors on hold as he sort of uh, learns to listen and, and all of that kind of stuff? Or is this something where it's just going to be like a temporary thing? I don't know. I guess I guess we'll see when we get to Sundance. We'll see if we see him wandering around Park City. But um, I guess... That's especially hard because he's like the star of his movies, not like a behind-the-scenes documentary, and he puts right. himself front and center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that'll be fascinating to see uh, what happens and if there's any, you know, any more fallout than what he's brought down on himself, I guess. Um, I guess moving on, Chris, uh, what do we know about the future of the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and Deadpool in terms of the MCU? I think there was, we talked about the the Fox and Disney deal a lot on the podcast yesterday, but uh, what's the latest on this? Right, so yeah, the the big Fox-Disney deal finally happened, and there's a lot of uh, moving parts, but all anyone online seems to care about is superheroes. So... 
Uh, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, confirmed on a, uh, a call to investors, basically. He said that it is official that X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and Deadpool will all be part of the MCU. So if you were really hoping for that, you just got your wish. And that's definitely going to happen sometime in the near future. Yeah, so that's that's Bob Iger. That's straight from Bob Iger's mouth. So I mean, there, I, I think at this point the the nail has definitely been driven home. Like I can't, I don't imagine that there's going to be any further confusion over whether or not those characters are involved. Because I know that we talked a little bit about the Fantastic Four and sort of uh, confusing rights issues with that particular um, sub property, if you will. Um, so it sounds like yeah, these guys are definitely going to be coming to the MCU. And Jacob, I think you even predicted predicted that we're going to be seeing the X Men in what 2020. Was that your guess? Yeah, that was my, I jokingly guessed 2020 for X-Men, that feels right. But I also want to add the, um, I feel like every piece of like superhero news about the Disney Fox deal should be accompanied by uh, some downbeat news to remind people this sucks. Yeah. And that is that uh, Deadline's reporting that 5,000 to 10,000 people could lose their jobs when this deal is over. So hooray, hooray for X-Men and the MCU guys. Yeah. And hooray for 10,000 people without jobs. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hope that people uh, understand the enormity of this deal beyond just the superhero scope, as, as Chris mentioned. Um, it's pretty serious on a lot of lives, you know, a lot of livelihoods, I guess, are, are hanging in the balance. So um, we'll see how that continues to uh, to play out here in the next few months. And I think there still needs to be like some regulatory oversight and, and approvals before that deal officially goes through. Is that right? But But for the most part, it's sort of done. Is that, does anyone know about that? I think, I don't think it's going to take full effect till 2019. Maybe I'm wrong there, but I could have swore I read that. It was, that's when we'll finally. Yeah, okay. I think, yeah. So okay. it's going to be, a, it's been finalized, but like the actual effects won't take place until next year. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I guess moving from uh, from sort of bleak news to uh, something a little bit more lighthearted, and that is uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi, and its uh, box office prospects. So this movie uh, opened last night, and it earned forty five million dollars domestically in its Thursday night preview screenings, which makes it the second biz- biggest Thursday opening of all time, right behind wait for it, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. So uh, that seems to be a uh, a pattern with this movie in terms of box office anyway the the analysts all predict that this movie is going to uh, or could earn as much as a hundred million dollars on its opening day um that also would put it right behind the force awakens um and yeah just in general the movie is not supposed to be you know performing as well not, it's not tracking to perform as well as the force awakens but it's already doing better than uh than rogue one which i think only earned um let's see 29 million dollars in its domestic previews so only yeah only Only. only, i know and all of this obviously is relative because we are talking about star wars which is like the dominant movie franchise right now um so uh so yeah you know take all this with the uh with the relative grain of salt that it deserves but um in terms of uh yeah, nationwide box office, they are looking at, you know, somewhere between 95 and 100 million for its opening day. And yeah, analysts are predicting that the movie might end up making as much as $425 million uh, worldwide in its opening weekend. So that's, uh, that's pretty significant. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, The Last Jedi. And actually, let's keep that train rolling. And Chris, um, the movie, as we know now, has more practical creatures than any other Star Wars movie. What do we know about this exactly? 
Uh, yes, Peter interviewed uh, Neil Scanlon, the creature designer of The Last Jedi, and he revealed there's over 180 to maybe 200 elements of practical creatures in the film, which is a lot. And it's very cool because uh, when you think of modern blockbusters or even the Star Wars prequels, they tend to go over the top with CGI. And it's it's neat that the Ryan Johnson and company wanted to make this more practical. So I, I personally appreciate that because I hate, I hate shoddy CGI. I think um, if I'm not mistaken that the force awakens only had something in the realm, in the realm of like a hundred creatures. So this seems like almost double that. Um, and, and you can sort of feel it in the movie. I mean, I know we'll talk about the film in, you know, coming up in a little bit more detail, but, uh, but you feel that it, it feels like there are real things, real actual practical elements in this movie there. It has a, a real tactile nature to it. Yeah. yeah especially in, uh, the Canto bite scenes. Uh, Jacob, did you say something? Yeah. I talked over Chris like a jerk, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I feel like Ryan Johnson, if he comes from a very, very specific film, uh, fan background, uh, he very much an old school kind of guy. He loves practical effects. He loves his he loves his 80s stuff. He loves his tactical practical things. And I feel like this is the first movie he's made uh, where he gets a chance to make puppets and make robots. And he has the money to do it. And I feel like I can just imagine Ryan Johnson being like, "Oh, I could do the CGI, but I have the, I have money now." Or <laughs> so like J.J. Abrams, even though he also embraced practical. He, he's a digital guy. He knows how digital works. He's more of a, he's more, he's been around the blockbuster for a bit. Whereas I think that Ryan Johnson's having a ball and you can see that in the, in the movie. Yeah. It does seem like Ryan Johnson's kind of like a kid in a sandbox because we heard about how he built in excess of a hundred sets for this movie, uh, which apparently was too much for George Lucas, but <laughs> it sounds like he's having fun making the film at least. And it actually looks like he's having having fun uh, or had fun making the movie because if you follow him on Instagram, you've probably seen a lot of the behind-the-scenes photos that he was taking. Uh, HT, now we know that a book of those photos is going to be released. Is that right? Yeah, so he took a lot of photos from behind the scenes uh, through his 35-millimeter camera, and he's shown some of those on his Instagram, like he said, and during his convention appearances, and apparently they will all be published in a book to be released sometime next year. We don't know the exact date for it, but it seems like... It seems like a really cool way to just see the filming process where everyone's having a lot of fun and a great sort of in memoriam for Carrie Fisher as well, who is in a lot of these uh, beautiful um, behind the scenes photos. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. The um, the slash film dot com article that we published with uh, that was interviewed with Ryan Johnson shows a couple of the photos that he took and they're really lovely. Yeah, and we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. You can check it out. Um, and in Peter's interview with him, uh, Ryan Johnson admits, he said, it's not even that they're great photos. It's just unique, and that's why I started doing it. I'm like the only person on set who's not going to get tackled if they take a picture of something <laughs> sensitive. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, do you guys think that, I mean, are you the type of, uh, of movie watcher and, and memorabilia collectors, uh, each of you, I want to hear from you, where if they actually do end up releasing this as a book, is that something that you would get as a coffee table book? Or, or is that something that you would just like sort of browse through when you're wandering through a bookstore? Uh, HT. Uh, I would probably buy it as a gift. I already have way too much stuff, so I don't know if I would buy it for myself. Um, but I, I would probably browse through it. It's really, I liked seeing the photos, so I would be 
uh, inclined to, to at least look through it. Yeah, Chris, what about you? I would definitely get this if it comes in. I really, uh, I'm on like a, a kick lately where I'm buying as many big coffee table art books about movies as I can. I actually just got the art book for The Last Jedi today, and it just has a lot of neat concept art in it. So I would definitely get this when it comes out. Very cool. Uh, Jacob? Uh, I own thousands and thousands of books, much to my detriment, so the answer is yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I like how uh, how you have so much, but you're still willing to add to that collection. So. I'm trying to fill the gaping hole of my life, Ben, <laughs> with Star Wars books. All right, so let's get into it, guys. The feature presentation. Uh, Jacob, you wrote a what I think is one of the best articles that I've read in a long, long time, and I know you're going to uh, bristle with that, but I highly encourage everyone to read it. I'll link to it in the show notes here. It is called Star Wars The Last Jedi Doesn't Care What You Think About It, and that's why it's great. Uh, I want to use this as sort of a jumping-off point for all of us to talk a little bit about uh, our reactions to the film um, and the, I guess, the, the general reactions to it that we're seeing from audiences and, and the divide that there is between uh, audience reaction and critic reaction. I was really surprised to see that um, from from a lot of the, the tweets that I've been seeing, you know, on film Twitter this morning, that a lot of uh, quote unquote regular audiences don't seem to be taking very well to this movie. Um, I know we've been talking about it for uh, like basically all week uh, as soon as the embargo lifted, a lot of the reactions out of the world premiere were really positive. That's sort of to be expected. But then the the normal review embargo lifted, and the film was the highest reviewed uh, ro- um, Star Wars movie on Rotten Tomatoes. So I was anticipating that audiences would love the movie, and it, it doesn't necessarily seem to be true across the board in the way that I sort of anticipated. Um, I'm interested in what you guys think about that. Chris, do you have any uh, any thoughts about the... Uh, the general response to The Last Jedi so far. Yeah, I'm I'm a little taken aback by it, honestly. Um, I'm not a huge, like, I'm not a Star Wars fanatic. I, uh, you know, I like most of the movies. I really liked The Force Awakens. I loved this movie, but I do, I guess I get why people are reacting this way, because the film is very... Uh, What's the, what's the it's, it's not really interested in fan service. I mean, sequels by their nature are fan service. You know, that's just the nature of sequels. But this film, it's very unconcerned with uh, playing into audience expectations. Like every, almost every scene in this movie is sort of devoted to smashing any expectation or fan theory you might have had. So I guess people just weren't prepared for that, especially after – uh, Force Awakens, which again I love that movie, but that movie is very fan servicey. It, it's very concerned with living up to what everyone expected a new Star Wars film to be, and this and Last Jedi isn't interested in that. And that's what I think actually makes the movie strong. But I guess that's the minority opinion. Yeah, HT, do you think that's the the reason that uh, general audiences aren't necessarily taking to this film in in the way that we all thought that they would? Yeah, I definitely think so, because Last Jedi um, is a movie that definitely bucks all expectations and almost actively disregards them. So I really love Last Jedi. I think that it was something it was one of the most emotionally resonant Star Wars movies that I've seen. I've seen all of them, but it's it's interesting. It was just it was very shocking to me that people had such strong reactions against it. I I remember when I was watching it, I thought there were a couple of moments that didn't quite work, but not to the point that 
people would actively hate it like they are. So I wonder if it's the star, avid Star Wars fans who are really coming out against this film because, you know, it doesn't exactly answer all the questions we have. It doesn't go into the involved detail that so much of the Star Wars universe is. Because the way that I see the Star Wars universe and Star Wars in general is as sort of like this myth, mythological fantasy series, but instead of a very involved sci-fi series, which is what I think a lot of Star Wars fans today see it as. Mm -hmm. So I think that sort of uh, dissonance between how this movie is presenting sort of a more like return to that fantasy mythology of the first movie uh, versus just kind of the the intricate sci-fi uh, developments and and kind of convoluted theories and subplots that that dissonance is something that I think is what's making people react so strongly against it. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the the puzzle box approach has sort of um, maybe conditioned audiences to attempt to get ahead of movies and, and try to, you know, sort of plug things in um, and, and sort of out, try to outsmart movies in a certain way. And, and as Chris mentioned, this movie is so not interested in it's not even on the same playing field that the fans were on or, you know, it's like you walk into it and from the very beginning, you sort of are like, Oh wow, this is not, um, <laughs> you know, everybody always talks about how the movie is so different and that's been like the big word, but I think you feel it, you know, pretty early on in the film that it's not even remotely, uh, interested in, um, in sort of holding your hand in any way. Um, Jacob, I, I know that's like a centerpiece of, of this article that you wrote. Yeah, uh, you can read the whole article at slashfilm.com. It's in the show notes. And I, so I'm not going to run down the whole thing. It's way too long and way too sprawling. And people say it's good, so I'll take your word for it. Then. <laughs> uh, but so what I want to do is I'm going to give a spoiler warning now because I think you guys have done a pretty good overview of the movie. And quite frankly, I'm not interested in talking about things that aren't spoilers at this point. Right. Uh, so let's consider this a, can we call a spoiler warning right I now think, for anybody I to think, turn this off so yeah so if you guys uh, haven't seen the movie yet uh pause this you know come back to us um if you know subscribe to the show on itunes all of that stuff you know spread the word about the podcast that'd be great and then uh for everybody else who has seen the film stick around because we're going to talk about the movie in spoilers starting right now jacob go ahead uh luke dies yoda's there uh Snoke <laughs> dies uh, okay, <laughs> sorry, if you stuck around, it's your fault, guys. Uh, <laughs> what I find really fascinating about this is that J.J. Abrams left a lot of threads, open threads for the next movie. He left a lot of lingering mysteries. He left, he set up the next movie. He sort of said, okay, here's the path I'm placing you on. The next movie can pick up my path. And almost instantly, Ryan Johnson burns that path to the ground and steers Star Wars through a fence on the side of the road off into the wilderness. <laughs> it is it is an insane thing. Like, you expect Snoke to be the big deal, the big bad throughout the whole trilogy. Nope, he's dead at the halfway point, killed kind of unceremoniously in a really, actually, funny way. Uh, you have uh, Ray's parents being revealed to not be Kenobis or Skywalkers or Solos, but to be just some uh, bad people who didn't care about her and sold her for money it's taking all it's ryan johnson saying like okay i was left this box i was, le I was left this this group of toys to play with i'm gonna put this box down light on fire and go find toys that i'm interested in and he starts using the lingering threads to explore things that he's passionate about he starts instead of um 
presenting like when Han Solo shows up in Force Awakens, like oh Han, look at Han, he's back to being Han. Isn't that great? Han Solo's fun. He's great. Ha, he's a scoundrel. That's great. But when we have Luke Skywalker here, and Luke Skywalker is the centerpiece of this movie, and Mark Hamill is magnificent, which I never thought I'd say as much as I like Mark Hamill. Um, he's this broken shell who's gone into exile to die. He's bitter and he's angry and he's frustrated. And this is not a movie where Ray shows up and instills the old guy with hope. This is a movie where the bitter old guy ha- teaches Ray a lesson of, oh, I can't rely on my heroes anymore. The old generation has failed. It's up to me now. And that's what Last Jedi is really about. It's not about one last victory tour for Luke Skywalker. It's about how the previous generation thought they won a war, they failed, and then can't rise to the occasion again. And it's up to not the Skywalkers, not the Solos, but the ordinary people who are caught up in the wake of this nightmare have to rise up and resist a new fascist regime. And that is so powerful and so different. And, it, and whereas J.J. Abrams wanted to make a blanket, he made a, a cuddly comfort food movie that I enjoy very much. It is, it is a delicious dessert. I love watching it. Whereas Ryan Johnson has made a meal, like a full, a, there's, there's steak on this plate. There's stuff to chew on. He wants you to look at your idols, look at the characters you love and say, you have worshipped Luke Skywalker for 40 years. What if he lets you down? Yeah. And that is so Our much. Our heroes are fallible. Yes. That was the note HT gave me on uh, when she read my first draft was you should have a note but here's being fallible and i added that so thank you hd you're welcome yeah man um again this piece is is really great and i think uh, everybody should read it and and i'm interested um chris I, I know on a recent episode of the podcast i think you were talking about uh, a news article that you wrote about how ryan johnson and jj abrams came to the same conclusion about who ray's parents were and now i'm curious after having seen the movie and after realizing that the answer is nobody um does that make a little bit more sense to you now it does and um i sort of laughed out loud when i saw the film and that was revealed and i i personally i love that reveal because i don't know if i'm alone in this but I was never really interested in who Ray's parents were. I thought that was like one of the most boring of all the mysteries. And I thought it was weird that people like harped on it so much. So I kind of love that he did that. Um, That said, as much as I liked the force awakens after seeing the last Jedi, I'm actually kind of worried that JJ Abrams is directing the next film because this film, the last Jedi does such an interesting job of sort of destroying everything that JJ Abrams set up. It's kind of, it feels kind of like reductive to just turn it back over to JJ Abrams. Cause what's going to stop him from being like, all right, now I'm going to set all this stuff up again that Ryan Johnson sort of tore down. So I am a little, <laughs> I'm a little worried about that now. Yeah. I, I sort of had that same thought when I walked out of the theater, but I, I have to think that, um, that Abrams would know that that would be a really bad look and, and would make him look like a, a less talented storyteller than I think he is if he were to just sort of, um, you know, impetuously uh, retcon all of these decisions that, that Ryan Johnson made. I think, uh, Jacob, you wrote an article today about um, what does the ending of The Last Jedi mean for the future of the trilogy, and I'll, I'll link that in the show notes as well. But I think something you said in there um you know, resonated with me. And that is, I think JJ Abrams is probably going to consider this uh, a challenge, right? Like I I hope that that's how he takes it. Um, Do you, do you think that he's going to be able to live up to that challenge without necessarily uh, falling back on his, his old ways? I'm really interested because JJ Abrams is 
known for being a great collaborator. People love working with him. And I don't, I think Ryan Johnson supplied answers and inclusions to a lot of JJ Abrams' questions. So maybe he wasn't expecting those questions to come so soon or to come this way. So I'm actually excited because I think JJ Abrams is going to see that, whereas he ended Force Awakens on a very, very clear path with literally Ray holding out a lightsaber to Luke and saying, okay, what comes next? The next movie has to begin here. Uh, Johnson ends his movie with a new status quo, but with everything wide open. J.J. Abrams can pick up wherever he wants. Immediately, five years later, ten years later, um, all, all Ryan Johnson did was completely reset the, the, the field in a, way, in a way where J.J. Abrams and everybody else can come in and tell whatever story they want well, last year, I feel is complete in a way that Force Awakens never did. So I think J.J. Abrams is going to, is being given a really interesting place to pick up, and I'm I'm excited to see it. J.J. Abrams is a talented guy, so we'll see. H.T., what do you think? I hope so, too. I, I'm a huge fan of J.J. Uh, Abrams' work, and I think that he'll be able to take this as a challenge and um, sort of follow through with it. Uh, I do want to say, I kind of didn't get to interrupt earlier, but I like how this film deconstructs that chosen one mythology that has been so sort of central to the Star Wars franchise up until now and kind of divvies up that power amongst the people. And uh, I wonder if what J.J. Abrams can do with that. I'm really excited to see if he can pull off doing something about how power and hope lies within just the ordinary masses and the ordinary people, because it's not something that he's quite done before. He always kind of does films or television shows about exceptional people. Uh, the exception may be being lost, but it would be really interesting to see J.J. Abrams take that. Yeah, for sure. And and even Abrams himself, you know, wasn't like super involved in Lost on a on a day to day level. I mean, he directed the pilot and he like executive produced the show. But um, but yeah, that I don't even think that, uh, you know, it, that was definitely like Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse's baby all, all the way yeah. through. So um, and, and that's an interesting point, because the, this movie ends with a, a force sensitive child who is like being oppressed um looking out into the night sky and and you know holding a broom and sweeping uh dust away but but looking up and and being um inspired and i think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of potential there for exactly what you're talking about hta i really hope that abrams is able to sort of pick up the ball and and um you know continue the, the story in a, in a thematically interesting way that doesn't necessarily just uh, yeah, reduce it back to the mystery box and, and all of that now that uh, Ryan Johnson has sort of dropped a handful of a comical amount of dynamite in the mystery box and then just blown it to hell. <laughs> um, so I, I don't want to, you know, really um, belabor this conversation or sort of drag it out and, and try to compete with the Slash Filmcast who just released their uh, full review of The Last Jedi. So we're, we're a shorter show. We're more uh, sort of focused on, on news and the hard-hitting stuff um, of the day-to-day. -day. So I think we should probably leave it there. I know we're going to be talking a lot more about this movie in the future, um, in the coming weeks. Uh, I will be gone next week, but I'm sure you guys are going to be uh, chatting with Peter about it, who is not here and hasn't ha really had a chance to sort of voice his opinion on all this, because I know that the three of us, or four of us, excuse me, are more sort of um, in line, uh, you know, with our mentalities of this movie and our readings of it and sort of appreciation of it. I think Peter has a, a couple more issues that um, than we do with it. So I'm interested to, I'll be interested to hear uh, how he brings those up over the next couple days. So stick with us, uh, keep listening. You can find more about all of these stories we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com. Slashfilm Daily is public, uh, published every weekday. 
And uh, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. We are still experimenting with the show. So if you have any questions or feedback or um, you know comments for the mailbag or anything like that, email us at peter at slashfilm.com. Uh, please go to iTunes and rate and review the show. That actually helps us a lot. And be sure to spread the word to all your friends. If you enjoy what we're doing and you have any movie-loving friends who uh, you know are looking for a good podcast, send us their way. That would be greatly appreciated. And uh, I think that's going to wrap us up. So, uh, HT, where can we find more of your work online? You can find me at SlashFilm.com. I'm on Twitter at HTranBui, and I have a podcast, the Millennial Falcon Podcast Chris, on iTunes. About, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, Chris, how about you? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 And Jacob? I am on SlashFilm.com every single day, and I am on Twitter where I am at Jacob S. Hall. All right, and you guys can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears and at SlashFilm.com as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.